it just feels like you can't breathe, I guess. It feels like you keep reaching for air, but you can't. You, you keep taking mouthfuls of air, but your lungs don't feel full and you don't feel like anything's enough or you don't feel satisfied with it. You know, there's not a point where you're happy with something or something feels finished. It feels like you keep reaching for things and you're not getting it. I wonder what you mean when you use the word I. Use the word I. In this episode, I speak to Nick Ward. Uh, Nick is a filmmaker and a high school student and just generally a really impressive bloke, kid. I don't want to call him a kid because that's patronizing, but he's far brighter than the years he's had on this earth. He's the youngest TropFest finalist in history. TropFest is the world's largest short film festival, and he did that at the age of 16. His project was this emotional drama around teenage mental health. It's called Boys Don't Cry. Check it out if you haven't. It's only a short film. Every day feels cloudy, even when you can feel the sunlight seeping into your eyelids. It feels like you can't breathe properly, despite the cool air filling your lungs. You can feel your feet on the hard ground, but your mind is like an ocean. Drowning in your own thoughts, you try to kick back up to the surface, but you sink even deeper. You feel like you just want to go to sleep, to let the world continue without you, and return when everything gets better. It feels like you're completely separate from everyone on the planet. It tackles kind of this alarming epidemic around depression and anxiety and suicide in in young men, but it also contributes to kind of rewriting the toxic side of the masculine narrative that still permeates with with young boys today. So it's about time we had a talk. It's about time we even mentioned what's going on inside our heads. It's about time we actually thought about ourselves, not what other people think. Boys don't cry. Everybody cries. Everyone you've ever loved and everyone who has ever loved you. Your heroes, your enemies, all the people you see in the street. Emotion is not a mechanical error. It's a human blessing. So let it all out, because that's really what a man is. This conversation I had with Nick is a perfect example of what it sounds like when you connect with someone and and they feel heard in that connection. I think... Nick took a lot out of of me sort of saying, yeah, I've been there too. Um, He talks about his struggles with fitting in and how we discuss the way we both manage our intense thoughts and emotions. His sort of insight on how that affects a young person who feels like they have a, a different brain and different to most people is really, really interesting and sort of all the while trying to navigate the pressures and realities of school and being a teenager Um, which I know so many people out there are 
going through or they have kids that are going through. So a really relevant reflection. We talk about what it means to be a man as well, which I think is a, is a really emerging topic of of debate and rightfully so, and how rewarding yet challenging it can be to sit with uncomfortable emotions that come up as part of that exploration. Trigger warnings in this episode um, for any young people who feel overwhelmed by school pressures at the moment. This is mild and hopefully it should be the opposite, which is comforting. But if this is causing you a bit of stress at the moment, then maybe not listen to this episode just yet. As always, go slow, go strong, one moment at a time. We're all on the journey. Mr. Nick Ward, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on the Heart on My Sleeve podcast. Welcome, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. When we were setting this up, was uh, emailing you trying to get a time, and, mm, yeah, and, uh, and yeah. you said, um, "Can we do it after three o'clock? Because I've got school." Yeah. And I, you know, all the content that you've made and the way that even that you just talk in normal conversation is far beyond your years. And so I'm really looking forward to unpacking your story. Oh, thanks so much. Before we got here, um, you were talking a lot about how mental health has affected you and people around you. Before we dive straight into that, tell me a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in North Sydney, um, two parents, as usual, got a twin brother and you know, just went to the local public school, been growing up making films, making music, making just like art in general. I've always been obsessed with, I've never been into sport, just always been obsessed with making art. And um, I guess it's progressed each year to the point where I started making movies with budgets, movies with proper gear. And yeah, we got into Trop First this year with our movie Boys Don't Cry, which we're really proud of. And when you say we, who's we? So we, um, I've got a team of my best friends, uh, Jack Sapono and Lachlan Thompson. Uh, we have a little, I guess it's, we call it a film collective called Justin Productions. And uh, so we're, we just all, because we're all filmmakers, so we're all helping and assisting each other, making films, working on each other's projects and trying to pump out as many, as much content as possible. All the while you're in your second y- last year of high school in yeah, year 11, think, yeah, yeah. right? So when are you doing all this? Any time, any free time, I guess. Yeah, I'm always, I always, I always like to have a project, um, right? Yeah, in the works. And is having a project one of your ways to cope? Uh, absolutely, yeah. I think I'm always. Uh, anything I'm feeling will go into whatever I'm making. Yeah. Right. I f- have a very similar addiction to wanting to create. Mm. Sometimes that is a positive one. Sometimes it's a destructive one yeah. because it leads to never feeling satisfied with what you're actually doing. Mm. Um, but when the gift is under control, it's a really great way to channel a lot of that neurotic energy into something productive. Yeah. And, and so what does a, a normal day look like for you? Normal day, I guess, is just going to school. Usually when I'm at school, I'm making beats or uh, working on a script, working on a bit of writing. I write poetry and short stories and stuff like that. So I'm doing that when I'm actually supposed to be doing work during lunchtime recess. Getting home, I'm always straight into music usually and then homework. Uh, Yeah, as I said, the boys the Jack and Lockie who I do Justin with they go to school with me so we're always usually talking about films we have classes together film class together 
Do you fit in at school? Um, honestly, no. I don't think I ever have really, because um, I'm not the peak of masculinity, and I go to a private boys' school where we idolize big rugby rowers. Mm. Um, not really artists or musicians or anything like that. So, I think. I used to be pretty uncomfortable about it. I was always trying to fit in, always trying to conform to something else. But I think in these last few years, I've really just owned it. Nice. Yeah. Has that sense of ownership let some weight go? Absolutely. I can just remember who I used to be, like in year seven, year eight, always trying to like get invites to parties, always mm-hmm. trying to like appeal to someone else. But yeah, I'm just trying to make myself happy. These How? Days. Um, just making art that makes me happy. How did you move from? the person who wants to get the invites to parties incredibly socially conscious mm. wearing the mask like mm. so many kids of your age do growing up how did you let go of that um honestly i just realized how unhappy i was trying to uh appeal to other people and i was caring about other people's opinion of me more than my own opinion of myself um and I think that's a problem for a lot of teenagers. We're always trying to fit in. We're always trying to be liked. And we're, it's this obsession, you know. And I guess I just grew grew out of that. And I think people slowly do or they don't. And yeah, I don't know. It's a hard thing to overcome because we as humans, we really like being liked and we really like fitting in and we love popularity and attention but I think a lot of the time that's at the expense of who we really are. Mm. Even in the first few minutes of, of listening, people will already be able to appreciate and understand that you probably have a stronger sense of who you are than people who are in their 50s. And so I do want to dig into that a bit more. When you're feeling like you're on a transition, because I imagine that journeying towards a place of authenticity for mm. you, like many others, isn't an instant no, thing, right? Not, yeah. And so, can you give me an example where you felt um, tension at school between this inner and outer conflict? Mm. I think a lot of the time it was making a movie to appeal to other people. I was trying to make, you know, this is probably not the best example, but I was making movies that and art and music that they weren't personal to me. And I was trying to make things that were cool or movies or story, right, tell stories that other people were going to like. And I would always have an audience in mind. But then I slowly started to put myself into my work. And that's terrifying for a start because you feel like you're getting judged as a person rather than your artwork being judged on its own merit. And I guess when I slowly started to put myself into my work, that's actually when I got more attention for a lot of the stuff and because it really meant something and it was coming from an authentic place. So when you stopped holding on and grasping to please other that, people, that yeah. validation, ironically, it's when it came the most, right? Yeah. yeah. What about like physically in the schoolyard? Was your sense of like conversation and your interactions with people around you, did you notice that you were changing the way that you were talking to people as you started to, I guess, care less about that judgment? Yeah, I mean, you can imagine teenage boys are always, you know, telling edgy jokes, always, um, yeah, just trying to speak. It's like an entire new language in in a Mm. playground, you know. And I guess, you know, there's all these trends, there's all these... um, 
terms that go around. And I feel like a lot of people, um, they don't inject themselves into a conversation. They're talking about, you know, superficial things. They're talking about parties. They're talking about drinking. They're talking about et cetera, et cetera. And I think not enough people are talking about themselves or how they're feeling and how they're going. And I guess bottling all of that up, it felt so freeing to start talking about, you know, how I felt. And then I guess I encourage, it encourages other people to talk about how they feel. And soon enough, you have a friend group that's all very conscious of each other. We know what's going on in each other's lives. And I think that's the best friend group you can have. Yeah, You're finding your tribe, right? Mm. Yeah, it's amazing the power of what can happen when... I, usually it starts with one person. Mm. When you truly make the decision in your life where you're like, I don't want to be that... I don't yeah, want to live that exactly. narrative anymore. Yeah. And the moment that you sort of consciously go, this is going to hurt maybe, but I'm willing to to open up to what it would mean mm. to follow my passions, to speak my truth, to do things that maybe aren't socially appealing and things fall away. And often when things fall away, whether that be friends, when you're a bit older, money, you know, relationships, etc., you start to th- question yourself and say, well, is the pain of shedding the mask Mm. worth the result on the other side and so many people don't make it to the other side because Mm. they're just constantly trying but then playing a role yeah Yeah. but then they slip back into the role because it's easy there's less ambiguity there's Mm. less tension it's when we truly do the work to be who we are and then we're met by at least one person who goes dude i dig it like i dig you and i accept you and like you know i relate to you and i want to just hang and grow Mm. um, together and as you say like being conscious of one another that's such an amazing language that very rarely you hear teenagers use because Mm. you don't have to love each other you don't have to save the world or save each other's life necessarily in the case of mental health but Mm. the best way to show up for someone is to be conscious of them yeah absolutely and to respect where they're at and genuinely give a shit about where that is absolutely yeah that's pretty radical Come yeah, because yeah, <laughs> being a teenager is hard and I can see why people do get wrapped up in their own head mm. and they don't find the space to be able to be conscious about others around them. Mm. Um, and that does come with age. But I think building a practice now where we can be a little bit externally focused as opposed to, you know, just internally just going over everything and ruminating it's actually healthy because it it takes the the sting out of what you think is important and earth shattering at the time and um broadens your horizon Mm, i think it's just people following a group mentality a lot of the time everyone's just thinking the same thing everyone's trying to um deny their own opinion of things or, or people because that's not the popular way to think and they're yeah, you see that a lot at schools, and I don't think it's just boys. It's, you know, both gender, any gender. Uh, yeah, I think we're all, we just like to, it's comfortable mm. knowing that your you, your opinion is shared with other people's, yeah. When do you think social media started to become a problem in your life? When did it go from this is awesome to, oh shit? Mm. I've never been like a huge social media user. Honestly, it was probably last year. I was in a pretty toxic relationship and suddenly I was just getting 
addicted to my phone. Like I would physically like, I would. Just, I was so anxious when if, if I didn't have my phone, I would like if someone took my phone at school, I would like grab at them and I'd freak out, and I'd like sleep with it and stuff like that because I was just like so engaged in this like relationship that it was just so bad for me, and um, yeah, I think it took a while until I realized you know, it's all virtual, it's all on a screen, I should just live my real life and be comfortable with what's in front of me, you know, I don't need validation from all these people online, I don't need validation from likes or comments or reposts, because it's just a number, it's just a bunch of pixels on a screen, you know, mm. not something tangible. And that's the battle that we're in, because that same screen has also been a tool for you to go and help a lot of people through mm. your movies and through your music, and so... You know, for, for young people who are your age and teenagers, what would you tell them to sort of make sure that the healthy doesn't become unhealthy? I think, yeah, it's just um, not wearing a mask. I think it's just presenting who you really are. But I guess the way I see it when it comes to making friends or um, getting into relationships, I just try and present myself as I am because I don't want someone to fall in love with or connect with someone who I'm not, you know, and have to try and keep up that role. Right. Yeah. When you talk about your early love being music, mm. when was the first time you picked up a guitar? Do you remember the exact day or a piano or so anything like I that? started piano when I was six, classical piano, and I still keep doing it to this day, still take lessons, guitar when I was eight. And then I just taught myself drums, bass. I played double bass um, in an orchestra for a while. And yeah, I've just started making... Recently, I've just started making my own music on SoundCloud, posting my own songs, you know, singing, writing my own lyrics and stuff like that. Is there a point that you can see that you're like working towards of like who you are? Or is it just an overarching feeling of I'm not being me? I guess a lot of it's masculinity, honestly. I th sometimes I'll look at myself and I think... And this is from the influence of others, I guess, but I see, oh, well, there's all these rugby players, there's all these rowers, these guys who behave in a certain way, and they're men, they're boys. And I behave the way I do, and sometimes I'm like, you know, am I, like, a regular dude? See, I don't know whether this is me being normal or whether this is me being weird or... Mm, yeah. Okay. What? Yeah, what is regular to you? I have no idea, and I'm still trying to find that out. Right. Yeah. And so my next question would be, does it matter? No, like, I don't think so. You know, as a society, for sure, it is innate that we want to fit in. Mm. Uh, I use the analogy all the time that if you had a red spot on your right arm tomorrow, um, the first thing you would think is, does anyone else have this? Mm. Before you think, is it cancerous and I'm going to die? Yeah, yeah. So true. our want to fit in... Uh, is greater than our want to survive. Mm. What I am interested in is when people feel that they're not fitting in, where's the pain coming from? Is it that there's not enough people that aren't fitting in too? Mm. That's um, what I think is, yeah. Yeah, because, because eventually there technically is no such thing as abnormal because you can always find a tribe. I strongly believe that. Because, mm, yeah, that's a, that's so true. Like, I'll... I'm thinking, yeah, if anything unfortunate happens in my life, I always find a comfort in knowing someone else is in that spot as well. Right. Yeah. I, I think yeah. it's just people are scared of feeling alone in something. Definitely. Mm. I think sometimes feeling alone 
is more painful than the actual experience. Mm. Not knowing, because also if you're alone in it, you don't know how you can have guidance. And right. you don't know if no one can, yeah, take you through it right. from prior experience, yeah. Yeah, so you're sort of self-navigating. Mm. And that can be scary because we think to ourselves, well, do we have the means to navigate our way out? Mm. And even that is an interesting question because why don't we? Why can't we find the inner resilience in our own right without that tribe? And I think that mm. that is something that's baked into our DNA. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you could go around in circles on this for a long time, but my greatest takeout is that by relating to one person and feeling seen, we can sort of invite the exiled parts of our own self back home mm. to have a seat at the table again. What are some of the challenges you've dealt with personally in the mental health realm? First, I'm not diagnosed with any you know clinical mental health uh, syndrome uh, I've I've seen uh, counselors and you know therapists and stuff like that especially last year when I was had that toxic relationship there's been a history of mental illness in my family and I think just statistically I'm gonna probably end up being diagnosed with it as well at some point welcome to the family <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I don't know I but I'm I'm comfortable with that. I just know I just need to know that I have to communicate about it and I have right. to talk about it. And I know that I have the tools around me, whether that's through art or communication or my amazing family and my amazing friends, that I know I can get through it. And regardless of the label, because for the most part, it's not important. Let's mm. talk about experiences. Like, what are some real things that happen to you on a day to day basis that that trouble you is it you know in your in your film you talk a lot about tears that are so strong you feel like you could float into the ocean mm. and that you would become one with it because of how much is trying to come out of your mind mm. is sadness something you struggle with more than anxiety or it's it's funny because i'll i'm always just sitting listening to music with a resting face and people will say nick you look so sad and i'm always really confused by what that means whether am I in a bad mood today or is something, is my face just looking weird today or, but it's happened, you know, 20,000 times. And sometimes I think, wow, I, I rarely feel like comfortable or I rarely feel relaxed. And, um, I wouldn't say I'm always sad and I, w I wouldn't say I'm always happy. I think I'm always just in this very neutral state of not really knowing what's going on mm. and always feeling a certain level of tension and I'm I guess I'm kind of hyper aware of what's going on I'm mm -hmm. always like analyzing I never really lose myself in a moment I say yeah right so it's it looks like there's nothing going on upstairs but actually mm. there's so much going on that you don't know where to start yeah talk me through a moment where someone said to you dude you're just so down where mm. were you where were you in that space listening to music can you describe what's happening when you're there I guess whenever I'm listening to music there's always like a film playing in my head any song there's always something going there's I'm always living living out conversations in my head and living out memories and future experiences I'm not yeah I'm not entirely sure why I look so sad all the time um but do you feel how you look that's the thing is I don't really know whether whether I the thing is I don't know what my emotions are sometimes I don't know how to label them sometimes I'm in having the best I'm supposedly having the best time of my life but then I'll catch myself feeling that and I'll think 
whoa, wow, this is going on in my head. Why am I feeling this? Oh, wow, I can feel these like things kicking in now. Yeah, it's just being very, I'm always very hyper aware of what's, mm. of what's going on in my head. And I, th- I can't lose myself in that. And I'm always, yeah, just worrying. And, yeah, this is something I've ha- I've been through a lot myself. Mm. Hyper awareness is is something that was a bit of an offshoot of my obsessive compulsive disorder, and and I started to become aware of everything to a really really painful degree. What would happen is I kind of stopped being able to feel emotion because every emotion I would feel, I would start to think about, and mm. then it would stop becoming an emotion; it would become yeah. a thought. So I found myself like in this loop of like, I don't know if I have the capacity to feel for one. And for two, when I do feel, can I trust it? And that was a scary place to be because if you're like, shit, the emotions are supposed to be your compass. You know, we were talking about navigation earlier and you're like, well, if the compass is now out of whack, what can I lean on? How can I see what's real? Mm. How do I trust intuition, which is far less in the head and more in you know, the body. And yeah, it's this really ironic thing where we have a strong movement towards meditation and bringing awareness to things. But sometimes it doesn't consider the people who are already on the other side of the spectrum and maybe need to come back in a Mm. little bit. So for me, I found that it's, it's an ability to not, to sometimes not ask the question why. But it's so hard to not ask the question why I think. And I'm relating to that so much because like, honestly, I've, practice smiles and stuff like that when I'm like about to meet someone I will run the conversation through in my head and sometimes it feels like I'm not actually smiling inside but I'm there's a smile on my face and yeah I sometimes it feels like I'm just playing a role unconsciously so yeah yeah no I can really relate to that and I'm a very um people would call me an extrovert for sure like mm. you know I go out I talk to a lot of people blah 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 but most of the time before I go out I'm literally thinking almost like an autistic person would think you know after the first half an hour then what like yeah. I've I've sort of talked about what I need to talk about with That's people so around true. me oh, and then you're like so what happens for the next like 4 hours what do you people do yeah I w- I literally before I meet people think I need, I need to find five things that will be so, to keep the conversation going or else nothing, like it's going to be an awkward silence. And Yeah. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. And so what's helped me a lot is just allowing some of the, the gray, some of the sort of cracked diamond part of life to, co- life mm. to come through, which is I'm going to dive into the uncertainty, whether it be walking down to the coffee shop and not having something lined up to who's going to talk mm. to me all the way through to I'm going to go and build a business and not have the next three years planned out. (laughs) As someone who lives so much in the head, often the antidote is in the opposite. I find that so much in life that wherever the problem lies, you will find that a spice from the other end of the spectrum is usually... Sorry? So like just trying something new, are you saying? Or looking into ambiguity and something that doesn't feel comfortable? Yeah. So, I mean, if something is on fire, you put water on it. Mm. Um, and, and so I think that for someone that's too in the head, the body is a good place to balance things. Mm. Whereas someone who's too in the body is often someone who is feeling very upset and very sad mm. versus someone who's ruminating, feeling obsessive and, and often a bit more anxious. 
someone in the body can benefit from maybe changing their thought processes and catching because they don't have a lot of awareness over their thought processes. Mm. Maybe capturing, oh, maybe that thought isn't exactly true. I'm just letting the feeling tell me that it is 100% true when it's not. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, Yeah. think about it. And so awareness is a really powerful tool, but like any medicine used in excess, it's poison, right? It all just comes down to dosage. But it feels like I can't control the dosage. Right, but you will. Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) You will. It's just a time thing. And as I say, like I see a lot of me and you and and my my path that I've been on and I'm now 28 and I've only recently learned how to get some essence of control over my mind. But don't be afraid of it. Yeah. Let it let it be. It's your gift. It's the reason why you can create art. It's the reason why you can uh, connect with people on really empathetic levels and be able to sit with them in their pain more so than most because you have that awareness. But every gift is a curse if you let it get out of control. Yeah. And so practicing the ability to sit with uncertainty, to let a thought or emotion come up without unpacking it and needing to figure out why mm. and just be like, oh, that just is right that's now. What, that's what it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That just is, and that's okay. So what does it feel like when someone, just like in this conversation, tells you, like, dude, I get it? It feels pretty awesome. As you said, we talked before about someone um, not being alone in something. Mm. And I don't, I've never talked to someone, oh, not, I think not someone who's connected with it so much as you have. I know people who will relate to the, um, you know, unpacking a conversation in your head before being, I guess, very socially anxious. As you said, I don't have the ability to lose myself in like my thoughts. Right. right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I just have almost too much control over all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is ironic, right? Because before you said, I don't know how to control it. So there's Mm. this two things happening that are completely opposite at the same time. I have no control and I have too Too much much control, control, right? And so somewhere in between those two, when you add them together, just like when you add black and white together, you get Mm. gray, is the place of serenity, which is I have some control Mm. and that's okay. Yeah, (laughs) but enough that you can still let yourself feel things. And And that's when life is at its most beautiful for me, is when... I, I'm comfortably at my edge, mm. or I would say sometimes uncomfortably, where I, I'm not completely in the driver's seat, which for a very fucking long time, that was the scariest thing ever when someone said, you can't be in control all the time. Yeah. And I was like, but what's the other option? And they're like, some of the time. Yeah. And that comment was like, wow. I looked at every single aspect of my life and I'm like, I look at everything binary. Like it's either on or yeah, it's off. It's off. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, now I have this, I call it the gray mindset. I promise myself almost every day. I, I, I promise to live in the gray. Mm. So whenever I find myself saying the word or, I cross it out and I say the word and. And, yeah. and uh, it really does help. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm going to implement that, honestly, because, <laughs> yeah, I'm very black and white about things. Yeah. When I'm just, like, reading situations, I never allow myself to uh, feel the ambiguity sure. or, yeah, not know. I always have to have closure about something. Yeah, and yeah. a lot of the psychologists, psychiatrists I talk to now doing what I do say that tolerating ambiguity is one of the leading signs of a healthy brain. Mm. And it is a muscle. Like I can tell you, if if I've been in the gym for something over the last couple of years, um, the mind gym, <laughs> uh, the main muscle group I've been training is ambiguity tolerance. Yeah. 
mm. is is literally being able to hold an emotion of fuck I need to figure out why this is and get my head around it because when I know why I can control it yeah and actually going no I'm not going to just jump into my head and let that narrative kick off. I'm just going to let it sit and literally yeah. breathe into it for a bit. And over time, you learn that you can lift that weight. Yeah, I guess it's just letting yourself sit and letting us, letting the waves crash over you. Right. Yeah. And do. sometimes the best way to let yourself sit is is to see someone else sit in it, right? Mm. And for me, I always say that two years ago when I had my ma- my biggest breakdown, I found this guy's video on YouTube and... I guess I had a moment similar to this where he was just saying a few things where I'm like, I've never heard that described before. Mm. And I'm like, wow, I'm not as much of an alien as I thought. Yeah, He almost gave me permission just to be. Mm. That just made a whole bunch of space to invite in some of the feelings that I was like, no, I'm not allowed to feel, feel them. That. Yeah. Well, that's what we were trying to do with Boys Don't Cry, mm. I guess. We were trying to, rather than tell some um, a personal experience we're trying to t- tell a collective experience but still make it personal enough so that um people will relate to it mm. so that's and we're trying to visualize mental illness on screen that's why we're using so much water and shots and, yeah i love that yeah boys being swallowed up in blue or colors and bl- um you know all the backgrounds usually out of focus in most of the scenes and we made sure that there's always only one person each in each shot because they feel so alone in it mm. Yeah, I, I could feel sometimes the shot almost eating that person, engulfing mm. them with, with its silence and with mm. its emptiness. And, and, you know, a lot of people describe depression to me as this feeling of emptiness mm. like um, or a lack of aliveness. And yeah. I think creatively it's, it's really awesome when we get to dive into different mediums like film or music and, and use the subtle tones in whatever that art form is to present that. You know, mm. I, for, for us, sometimes we used a very washed out filter just to give a glimpse of that emotion of what someone would feel on some of their darkest days. And I guess um, I remember I was talking to someone and they said that film is the peak art form because you have photography, you have color design, you have sound, you have uh, writing, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I think we were trying to manipulate each aspect of this film so that it told a story of mental illness, whether Mm. that's being swallowed in like this bass, you know, musically in the sound design, um, the film starts off with voices because we, I guess we were trying to, the movie's about communication and talking to each other Mm. and it starts off with a single voice and then it becomes a sea of voices. And yeah, I guess that's, yeah, we were just trying to put mental illness on film. Mm. Mm. I want to go back to that question because I, yeah. I, I, I do want to unpack this a bit more. Can you describe or use a metaphor for the lowest point you've ever felt? Mm. Um, if you were to build an image around that, what would you say? Just thinking about it. Um, it just feels like you can't breathe, I guess. It feels like you keep reaching for air, but you can't. You, you keep taking mouthfuls of air but your lungs don't feel full and you don't feel like anything's enough or you don't feel satisfied with it you know there's not a point where you're happy with something or something feels finished it feels like you keep reaching for things and you're not getting it and in that space that you're in that that you're imagining can you see what that finish would look like or can you see what it feels like it's like when you 
a drink water after like not after being dehydrated it's that quench it's that like mm. ah, like that you feel full and content and you feel healthy and you feel yeah complete but yeah i think sometimes i've just felt that i'm just i'm not feeling terrible and i'm but i'm not feeling good it's just this it's ambig- ambiguity again mm. you, i don't know where i where i stand yeah. yeah, you don't know where you stand within yourself. Mm. Yeah, let alone in society. Yeah, because it's not pain as in, it's a searing pain. I feel terrible. It's like the pain of not feeling anything. Mm. Yeah, I love the patterns that come up in when I have these talks with people, which is, again, this dichotomy, this paradox between I feel nothing, I feel too much, mm. and both are equally as painful. Absolutely. You know, sometimes we say we just want the pain to stop, but then when we're totally numb, we don't want that either. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it seems as if we're, the best way to aim is in the middle ground, right? And to try and find that balance point. And that's really hard to do, particularly when you're in the throes of the turbulent emotions. Mm. So that's why it's important for people around us to play a role because yeah. they can help sort of see through the clouds and give you a, you know, if, when you've got the blindfold on walking through the forest, they can say, you know, three steps forward and then one to mm. the left so you can avoid that puddle. Yeah, I guess it's, yeah, using the people around you and being okay with letting someone help you on your way. Yeah. Because um, especially in teenage boys, we don't talk about it at all and we don't let people help us. Definitely. When it comes to mental health. And I think, you know, Nick, some of it's an Australian thing as well. Like yeah, I've, absolutely. I've traveled a yeah. lot and like, man, there's this macho culture over here mm. and like I've, I've struggled with it too. Like if you're not, yeah, if you're not sort of downing 50 beers and... You'll be a bloke's bloke. Yeah. yeah. And like yeah. shit, you know, trying to find the gray. I like to drink and have a good time, but, mm. but even there's been many times before and until I've recently leaned into it properly and been like, I don't care anymore and, and I would just want to be who I am. Mm that I would even change the tonation in my voice when I was around some people to yeah. sound more ochre, awesome. you know? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm like, they don't want the real me. Mm. And that's sad. Yeah, and it's also terrifying, I think. Yeah. Like to, sometimes I feel like I just want people to like me for me. Yeah. The real me, and that's what I've just started doing these past few years. And you know what, dude, is that the older you get, the more you realize that it's not that people ever didn't like you. Mm. It's that they had so much shit going on inside themselves, they had nowhere else to put it. Yeah. And so they projected it outwards and you felt a inability for them to make sense of their own narrative. Yeah. And unfortunately, we then picked it up and wrote it into our own and, and convinced ourselves that that was our character. But yeah. yeah, with hindsight and with reflection and with letting go of protection mechanisms and shoulds and shouldn'ts, we eventually go, oh, it's okay. It's okay. Mm. And it's always been okay just to kind of be in the space that I feel most quenched with that mm. water. Yeah. I'm actually, oh, I was wondering to ask you, because I have a friend who he's um, going through a lot at the moment. Mm. And I guess me as a friend, I don't know what the best thing to do for him is. Yeah. Because while I can be there on a s- empathetic level mm. i don't know exactly what he's going through yeah and i don't know the best way to be there for him yeah it's the most common question i get asked mm. since starting anything to do in the mental health space 
there's a couple answers. Mm. The first is is that you absolutely do because um, in a short space of time, I can see in you that you have a compass for a ton of emotion. And although you might not be able to relate to the exact thing he's going through, mm. I, I bet you get darn close yeah. by just putting yourself in his shoes. And because your ability to empathize is really key. And I think that's, that is the number one competency we need to build to be able to support absolutely. someone. Yeah. Because a lot of it is actually no one has the responsibility to come and fix someone you know it's not like knee surgery where you literally hand over a part of your body to the doctor and go stitch me back together Mm. the mind is different because it's not just the brain that's happening it's the mind and the mind is subjective it doesn't exist in the real world it's being able to listen to someone Mm. really the greatest thing you can do to support someone who's going through a tough time is to listen with presence mm. and heart on my sleeve will be releasing a bunch of resources really really amazingly exciting stuff uh, when it comes to e-learning programs and community programs that help people with this exact topic but mm. the the sort of very short story is that we need to hold people afloat until they can swim on their own Absolutely, yeah. And that's different to I'm diving in, putting someone on my back and trying Trying to swim them back to shore because A, often the supporter gets damaged in the process and B, the person will never grow their own strength to be able to do that. And to be independent and I guess that's what I've been doing with this friend of mine. Right. I've just been carrying him on my... Like I I keep trying to do everything I can to make it okay for him. But... I think in the, at the end of the day, I need to just be there as a support, just like a hand that he can hold to get through this rather than... Yeah, exact analogy, dude. Yeah. yeah, it's really holding someone's hand, walking next to them, um, giving them that love that they can't give themselves. Mm. You know, the, the greatest thing you can give is love is energy. Mm. And often it's that energy that we're depleted of. And by showing them, you know, I care. I get it and I care. I might not know what to do, but I will continually care. I will continually to show up. And that's the greatest gift you can offer. There is There are tactical things that you can go and do as well, particularly if they're withdrawing, proactively going around to their house or, you know, not asking them to do stuff, just mm. going and doing stuff. Yeah. Building a support team, like if you've got contacts with their family so you don't yeah. feel like you're doing it alone, so that it's a bit of a pack sort of communicating that's with one only, another. That's the only thing is that in this situation, it's not quite like that. Yeah, okay. I think I'm... I'm I'm one of the only people who's there for him at that the moment. That they trust, yeah. 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 No, that's fair. And and then this is a an awesome area to to explore because it's such a hard one. Like you want to be there for someone, but you also want to make sure they're protected and sometimes mm-hmm. that means letting more people know. You want to protect yourself. So yeah. so what I would say is is that it's a it's a kind of watch and see. There's yeah. no hard and fast rule. If you think that they are verging on suicidal you should definitely ask that question directly yeah Um, and i already know the answer as well yeah and what's the answer yeah so technically speaking if someone has confessed to wanting to be suicidal you should tell someone Mm. and you should let him know that it's not because you don't care it's not because you want to break trust but you're you have to they have to understand that you care about them a lot Mm. and if someone had stage four cancer you, you wouldn't just be them. like, yeah. you know, you wouldn't tell your GP, don't bring the surgeon in because I just want you to treat it, <laughs> exactly. even if you can get better. Mm. So in that headspace, you don't, 
Suicide's hard, and the reason is because sometimes you want to be able to authentically say, I want to die, without sending out a bunch of alarm bells mm. and protocols and things where people are like, shit, you know, alert this person and ring that hotline, and and it's just like, no, I just want, I want to say that and someone to recognize how much I hurt. Yeah. Right? And and so so I really get that side of it. The thing is... If that has been signaled like, no, imminently I want to die or that I have planned intentions to, Mm. um, anyone, particularly a boy near 11, you cannot hold that by yourself. Yeah, you need support. It's just Always, yeah. you have to you have to you have to tell either your parents, his parents, and then depending on the severity of it, someone officially through mm. you know suicide callback service or even the police. But more than anything, dude, it's a really tough thing to be going through what you're going through to support someone because you feel helpless, right? Yeah, and you almost yeah you feel pain in yourself of not being able to be enough help, or, right? Yeah. Right, right, right. And so, right now is a really good exercise for us Mm. just to not fix it, not rationalize it, and just feel that pain for a minute and just be like, damn, it fucking sucks that people hurt, right? And it sucks that I'm hurting that I can't help him not hurt. (sighs) And it's just like, okay, that's real. Yeah. That is real. And it's only after we have accepted that and after we've respected it and let it be present, can we go and action something? Because yeah. otherwise we're just operating in a state of denial. Mm. We have to like pick the pieces apart sometimes and realize, okay, this is what's going on right now. I think I get overwhelmed a lot. As I said, I think too much. And sometimes I just need to sit and I need to think. So this is when the picking apart my emotions actually can come into use because... I know exactly what to do in like a practical sense. I mm. like sometimes I'll say, you know, I need to go for a walk now, mm. or I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. I need to go s- get some sunlight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've what you've done is you developed your own kind of self care toolkit, right? Absolutely. And so that's an awesome thing to practice with your friend is like helping him identify if mm. he doesn't have the awareness. Mm. What are some things that bring him joy? I mean, he loves making music. He wants right. to make music with me. So I said, I told him I'm going to make an album with him. Cool. And you know what? An album is really big and hard. And mm. so why not start with let's play half an hour in the kitchen? Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's that not that huge thing that yeah. we have to both fulfill. Otherwise, we feel bad. It's like, do you want to just come over and jam for 10? Mm. And that could be enough just to break the cycle of the day because yeah. often it's not one foul swoop that brings us out of a black hole. It is the accumulation of tiny, tiny little Little moments, right? And so that 10 minutes of guitar one day and just talking about an album so he gets the excitement of the next, um, if he finds enough of those spaces to invest in, he will Mm. lift the tide up. But he has to do that in the context of a trained therapist. If he's feeling that way, he has to be seeing someone. Mm. And also potentially medication. Yeah. I've found therapy and medication to be two awesome pillars or awesome legs to the chair, which complement a whole range of other things, which includes, you know, exercise, diet, all the normal stuff. But most of all, the best and most helpful thing you can do is find relationships that you can be you in. Mm, And he's got that in you. And so you don't need to do much more other than continue to offer him that space. Yeah. 
as we said at the start, I'm just being aware of mm. another person. Yeah. Yeah. Bringing that compassion, bringing that awareness, not letting it get into the black or white yeah. zone and understanding that we ha- we are separate but connected. Mm. Absolutely. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate, to Thank talk you to so you. Much, yeah. um, before we go, I did want to say, you know, I have some... I have some people very close to me, actually, um, related to me who are in their early teens going through school, having a a really hard time. Mm. What would you say to people around your age or younger who are just like, I don't know if I can get through this. I don't know if I can do life. Mm. Just expressing it. I think don't bottle it up. You can't expect to feel all of these emotions and it's just going to keep they're going to keep piling on top of each other like the door's going to fly open at some point and you need to be expressing these things and I think for me at least when I put something on paper or when I get it out of my head then it just, either it makes it cl- makes it much more clear or it just helps me cope with it mm. and I think it's yeah, it's just expressing it, whether that's very literally writing out in a diary how you feel or creatively. You can write a song about how you could, how you feel or you can do a drawing. I just think it's just getting it out of your head rather than letting it stay in there. Totally. Mm. Yeah, I guess we could say that sometimes telling your story is the most powerful thing you can do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Nick, thank you for sharing your story today, thank mate. Thank you very much for having me. It's been an honor.